How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. has gone bananas in free agency and Locked On NBA is here for you to discuss it. Welcome to Locked On NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am David Locke. This is going to be a fun week on Locked On NBA. And I've got an exciting new sponsor to welcome into the program, MacWeldon.com. You know when you discover something and you're like, oh my gosh, i got to tell everyone about it? That's kind of how I am about MacWeldon. MacWeldon makes underwear, undershirts, t-shirts, socks, sweats, and they're awesome. I'll tell you more about them coming up here in a little bit, but just remember the promo code LOCKED will get you 20% off on MacWeldon. All right, so... This has been a crazy week, and uh, there's a lot to tell you about, but here's what's coming up on Lockdown NBA. First, this week, I sat down with the coach and did a whole podcast with the coach, uh, NBA coach, who comes on anonymously. I'm going to have that for you tomorrow, so that will launch on Thursday. Today, I have for you ESPN free agency numbers expert guru, great friend Kevin Pelton. And while we're talking, the Jazz acquire Boris Diaw in the midst of all of this. So that happens at the very end of the podcast for you. Before we get to that, I do want to make sure you're aware of the Locked On Podcast Network. We now have individual podcasts for your favorite teams. We're hopefully going to have all 30 here shortly. Right now, for you on the Locked On Podcast Network is Locked On Jazz. I host that. Locked On Celtics, Locked On Bulls, Knicks, Magic, Pelicans, Thunder, Spurs, Heat, Nuggets, and Pacers are right around the corner. Clippers are underway. Blazers are coming soon. Sixers are coming soon. Uh, Bucks are coming soon. So stay tuned for that and make sure you subscribe on iTunes, not only to Locked on NBA, but to your favorite team's Locked on podcast. Now it is time for today's edition of Locked on NBA brought to you by Mac Weldon with ESPN insider and star Kevin Pelton. Send him a thank you at at K Pelton like we often do on Locked on NBA. I'm not starting with Durant. I know everyone thinks I'm starting with Durant, but I'm not starting with Durant. I'm not starting with Salsa Pachulia or David West either, unless maybe I am. You've done all the analysis. You've broken down every single signing. You've done more work than any human being alive. What's the best signing so far? Yeah, it might be Zaza Pachulia. I mean, obviously Durant is the best signing. Let's be clear here. But like in terms of like you had to – and Pachulia is the same thing. Like they didn't have to do anything to get those. They didn't like correctly read the market or anything. They just were the Warriors. They did, actually, they did a lot to do that, but not within free agency. So on that category, maybe Brandon Jennings, one year, five million. I really like that. That is a uh, – you know, not – doesn't do much for them long term, but they needed a backup point guard. Derrick Rose, you know his injury history, so I like that pickup for the Knicks. 
when we talk about picks, we isolate just that signing. But I, I still will never uh, – when Pau Gasol got traded for Kwame Brown, so you took at the time probably the best power forward and replaced the worst power starting power forward in the league. That was a pretty big deal, right? So maybe which move makes the biggest roster change for a team? In other words, the, what they had there was so inadequate – and now they have something that's either really good or at least adequate. What is the biggest roster change move out there? I mean, again, you're begging me to say Harrison Barnes for Kevin Durant. Is it? I don't know. Is it? I, I think it is. I mean, the, maybe the most interesting one is uh, Al Horford replacing presumably Jared Sullinger in Boston, who is still on the market as of this recording, but I doubt he's headed back to the Celtics. And Sullinger actually had a really nice season last year. He ended up in my top 10 projected free agents because of his really st- strong uh, real plus minus uh, rating. But when you look at the playoffs and how much he struggled to defend, ironically, Orford and Millsap in Atlanta and couldn't stay on the court, like that's going to be a big difference for them in the postseason. That's really – what other ones? Because those are really the ones that change landscapes. Yeah, the change landscapes is the ones where a team really made a huge improvement. Huh. I mean, off the top of my head, I'm not honestly sure there are any other ones that really qualify. I might be missing something here. I mean, I guess actually you could say this wasn't a free agent sign, but I guess you could say George Hill and Dante Exum replacing uh, the the trio of point guards who played for the Jazz last season is a pretty significant upgrade there. Yeah, because you could argue those point guards were probably 30th in the NBA in point guard productivity or T.J. McConnell at Philadelphia West, so they were probably 29th. And if George Hill is 15th, that's a really big jump. I mean, those are the ones that, that move to me – just to take a different angle here to open our conversation, I think those are the ones that really move a landscape, right, is when you actually had a huge gaping hole and someone, when somebody filled it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's – and it's almost better in a way if you're kind of a mid-tier team. You'd rather not be good at every position, which Boston maybe was a little bit that, but uh, they had some unique – you know, kind of a unique situation where they were able to get a guy who was still an upgrade despite being pretty good at every position. But you ideally want to be, like, really good at three positions and not so good at a couple because then if you can fill those holes, that's when you take the leap. So you're really one of the nicer people I've ever met in my life. People should know that about you. You're really, you're really, really are nice. I don't think anybody ever said a bad word about Kevin Pelton in their life other than – well, maybe, <laughs> I yeah. can think of a few. Okay, but not very many. Which were the free agent signings that, considering how nice you are, were incredibly difficult to write about <laughs> because you just really almost wanted to be lazy and write, what the are they doing? And you had to try to give an explanation and be fair and be reasonable and be the nice Kevin Pelton. So, I mean, the Lakers giving $64 million to Timofey Mozgov right off the bat, like before the first three hours of free agency has concluded, had concluded, that stands out there. I mean, that, you can make a case that Mozgov might end up being worth that if he plays more like he did two years ago and he just really wasn't healthy last season after that knee surgery, which, you know, Brian Windhorst from ESPN has suggested he might have to have surgery again because it didn't go very well. Uh, it still concerns me that I think the league is getting away from where guys like that and he's 30 years old. So even if you didn't have the way he dropped off last year, you still can't project him to be the guy he was in Denver and Cleveland going forward because of the fact that guys just don't do that after age 30. And that's why you'd rather not sign free agents on the wrong side of 30. This is where you're nice. I just tweeted out, didn't you watch Roy Hibbert last year? <laughs> He's better than Hibbert. I'll, I'll give him that. Which Hibbert, by the way, was a nice signing, I thought, for one year, five million for the, for the Hornets. I mean, He's a dinosaur. 
but there's but there's no downside at that point. I mean, that's less than the mid level in this market. Five percent is five percent of your salary cap. That's used to be what a rookie rookie year almost a minimum salary was. So it's fine. Yeah. Uh, but the other one was probably nearer and dearer to my heart, the Portland Trailblazers, my, the team that I follow the closest uh, and had, I thought had maybe the best offseason of anyone last year, dealing with losing LaMarcus Aldridge and losing four starters and replacing those guys very cheaply and emerging as an up-and-coming team in the Western Conference. That gave them a chance to create a lot of cap space this summer while retaining their core and you know, a, an opportunity, it seemed like, to either add the rim protector that they didn't have or maybe a uh, a veteran combo forward who's a little bit more of an offensive threat than Mo Harkless. And instead, they give $70 million to Evan Turner, who doesn't seem to make sense as a fit next to Lillard and McCollum, since he gets, he's a guy who needs to play with the ball in his hands. And you know, a few years ago, I wrote that about Andre Miller when they signed him to play with Brandon Roy. But the difference was, I thought Andre Miller was a really good player, and he eventually was able to figure out how to contribute next to Roy. Turner, I'm just not convinced, is anything more than an end-of-a-rotation guy. In Boston, he made sense because they, they needed someone to create offense no matter how inefficiently. Portland already has that. They don't need that skill. Two years ago, he was on the verge of being out of the league, out of Indiana. When he left Indiana, he was bottom of the barrel at that point. He was still out there in September, I think, in free agency. So very different from this year where he got signed before the first 24 hours were up. But, I mean, we see that sometimes. I mean, Bismack Biombo is a guy who, you know, was – had to settle for a one-year or two-year $6 million deal from Toronto. Fortunately, he put a player option in that. So when he broke out this year, now all of a sudden he gets four years, $72 million from Orlando. And, you know, that's a that's a reasonable signing, I think. Bismack Biombo is better than this, but there's a Jerome James element to the Bismack Biombo signing that has me nervous, which is when you get excited about a player based on one playoff series, I think it's a very risky thing to do because it just means he matched up well on that one team for those six games. And that's what Jerome James did in – Seattle for against Sacramento and Isaiah Thomas fell for it. Bismack Biombo was better than that. Also, for, I, I think we we can agree that Bismack Biombo, the money is probably not going to have the same effect on him as Adam Jones. Just because, just sheer regression to the mean, like anyone in the world, we could take. And it would probably not have the same effect on them as it had on Trojan. The one, the garbage bag of stuff is not leaving. Well, we'll see about Hassan Whiteside. That's another interesting case. If suddenly you give him twenty twenty four million a year, and hmm, who knows what happens. There are a few of these out there uh, along the way uh, to Portland, and then we'll dig into we'll dig into the big stories. So they lose Gerald Henderson. They seem to be on the verge of losing Alan Crabb. Maybe not. They're going to keep Alan Crabb. I've heard I've heard twenty million for Alan Crabb out there. We are recording this. He has not signed yet. And that's the thing is, I my, part of my thinking with Turner was that probably it's a hedge against if Crabb or Harkless gets a really big offer. Okay, we sign one of those two guys or match on one of those two guys, and then we also have Turner. So I guess the question I'm going at we'll take in a general picture because we don't know the specifics. CJ and Dame were unbelievable. Did they carry that team, or did that collective? body of above average players all playing their role carry that team if they still have Dame and CJ are they just fine or was that group actually really important to Terry Stotts' crew's success last year I mean, I think they carried the team, but I, I would say that there are certain types of players that complement them, and that's guys that you know play off the ball, can make open jump shots. Henderson's still a little iffy there, but he was very good for them defensively. Uh, Crab, a very good open catch and shoot jumper, jump shooter, and that's just not Evan Turner's game. He's you know twenty four percent three point shooter. All right, we got more with Kevin coming, but I mentioned it earlier. Every now and then, you discover something you have to tell everyone about it. So I discovered Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon makes underwear and undershirts and T-shirts and socks and sweats, and I think I want to wear all of them. 
all the time. It is better than whatever you are wearing right now, and I don't even know what you're wearing. Hopefully you're wearing something. That would be good. It is they're fabulous. They believe in a smart design. They use premium fabrics, and the shopping is so simple. So I started off by just going down to the bottom of their page when I first found out about them, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to shop their packs. And then they name their packs, which, you know, it's a little different. But, like, my first pack I got was the Chris Pack. So the Chris Pack is one of their incredible T-shirts with two boxers and some socks, and I loved it. I was like, all right, now I'm in. So that was the Pima t-shirt. And and then I started hunting around and found out that even better in their t-shirts is they have the silver shirts, which they also have the silver underwear, by the way. And it's, I think it's called anti-microbial. What it really means is you don't stink. So the... Peruvian Pima cotton is the softest. That's the one I got in that package. The silver is destroys all odor bacteria. And then they also have the merino wool, both in short sleeve and in long sleeve. You've got to check this out. It's just awesome. So Mac Weldon, uh, the silver line is great. Not only do they do underwear, which I think a lot of people know, they do the socks and the shirts. The boxers were awesome. I, don't, I know you do not want me talking about my boxers too much, so that's why I've kind of talked about the T-shirts. But let me just tell you. Yeah, really, no, true. Like, good for working out. Uh, if you have the boxer briefs, you can get the boxers just for chilling, going out to dinner, whatever, everyday life. It's terrific. Check it out, MacWeldon.com, and you get 20% off using the promo code LOCKED. Tr- tr- trust me. Are you going to do it? I mean, I said trust me. All right, here, trust me this much. If you don't like your first pair, they will let you keep it, and you can still refund it, no questions asked. Okay, just do it. Go to MacWeldon.com. Use the promo code LOCKED. Trust me. Go to MacWeldon.com. Get 20% off. Promo code LOCKED. All right. Should we go to it? We've done about 10 minutes. We haven't dug in yet. Durant on the Warriors. So I have my pack rating. You have yours. Like in my pack rating, there are two players in the league that are just so much different than any other players in the entire league offensively. Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. And then James Harden's pretty good and quiet. But these other two guys are like 100% more impactful than even James Harden. The third best offensive player is the way I look at it. This this is mind-blowing to me to have these two on the same team and then even maybe the minor chance that they actually would improve each other's efficiency to some level by being on the floor with each other even just kind of goes beyond where I'm willing to go. Yeah, it's a fascinating experiment, I should say, because, you know, we've seen this obviously before in terms of stars teaming up, but when you look at, uh, you know, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and, and Chris Bosh in Miami, you know, James and Bosh, and, or James and Wade in particular, two guys who are best with the ball in their hands and that are more, even though LeBron is extremely hyper-efficient, they're more volume scores than they are efficient scores in the same way, particularly Wade, in the same way in contrast to Durant and Steph, who are guys who are super efficient. So if and you play, by the way, just to be fair, yeah. is the, I think in my ratings is the seventh uh, most impactful offensive player in the league. And if you look at uh, ESPN's real plus minus, this is offense plus defense. Clay doesn't rate as well, but Draymond is the eighth best. Or No, Draymond was this. I think actually ended up ahead of Steph. That's three of the eight best players in the league by that measure. Yeah, so, and actually I have the exact same as just pure offensive players. Yeah. I have three of the eight best. That's – I mean, I you have better models than I do, but, like, I run the idea that they're not catchable. 
Like when I run a model, like there's no scenario where they're catchable other than a bizarre small sample size of one given individual game where weird things happen is the only way I have them ever losing a game. Yeah, I mean, when you think about, you know, the way Cleveland defended them in the finals last year and tried to take Steph and Clay away, switching everything, that sort of thing. Okay, now you do that, and the guy who you're leaving open, the fifth guy on, out there, is not Harrison Barnes. It's Kevin Durant. <laughs> and Kevin Durant is a tough guy to switch on in this league. You know, you're going to end up with a bad matchup at some point if you've got a guard trying to defend 6'11 Kevin Durant who can get off his shot over anyone. I mean, it, it is mind-boggling. So my initial pro- projection using uh, Real Plus Minus on Monday morning when that news first came down was uh, 66 wins. Then they signed Zaza Pachulia because I was giving all those minutes to just generic replacement level players, uh, not knowing who they were going to fill out the roster with. That bumped it up to 69, and uh, I haven't plugged David West in because we, we just found that out as we were recording this. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see now if it's the projection is pushing 70, and that's that says a lot because projections are designed to be conservative. Last year, their projection by this same model was 60 wins. All right, and also the idea. Of- you would project a team to only lose twelve games. I mean, you're kind of you're a numbers smart guy. Um, so can you explain like that idea that in a you know like you can have Hillary Clinton going to win a state against nobody, and they still say she has a ninety three percent chance to win, right? You always have this like seven per, you know, whatever percent chance that something else might happen. Projecting seventy wins is kind of going beyond that ninety three percent projection going beyond kind of the safe level, isn't it? it? It certainly feels like it, saying it. But then when you won 73 games last year, I mean, obviously when you win 73 games like they did, you have to have everything break right. And then there's not everything because they did have some injuries over the course of the season, but a lot of things break your way. So there's scenarios where some of those things don't go their way as they, they probably didn't in the playoffs. And, you know, maybe that's where they end up winning 65, 67 games next year, something like that. But you also have those other scenarios where everyone stays healthy and, it could be 73 even if they're not really trying that hard for 73. Could it be 82? It could not be 82. I, I reject that. What is the number that you, if everything goes right, what is the maximum number of wins you think an NBA team could have? 77, maybe? <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. That's an awfully abstract question. I don't know. I'm just trying to think about it. I mean, like, if the, like so in Major League Baseball, there used to be a phrase. Tommy Lasorda used to talk about this all the time. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was that you're going to win 50, you're going to lose 50. And it's what you do with the other 62. And then the Mariners one year won, won 116. They didn't make the World Series, but they did win 116. You may never have remembered that team to the point of we only remember champions. But that... So that was the kind of the discussion there was like that they won every single one or that they went and won some games they were supposed to. The NBA, I used to think the number was you won 20, you lost 20, and it was what you did with the, with the other 42 is that what kind of defined your team. And then we had the war. And now I've had to change. So like, are we talking like you win five, you lose five? Like, I mean, the Sixers won how many games with some of those teams? So I guess we know it's like you automatically get a few wins. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, nine, I guess, is the magic number at this point either way. Yeah. I mean, they're so far off the scale historically at this point that the the typical rules may not apply to them anymore. Do you like it? I don't love it. I would have liked I if I had my complete druthers as a basketball fan, I would have probably rather seen Durant go east. But uh 
it's certainly going to make a lot of com- for a lot of compelling storylines next season. And like I said, this experiment, because, you know, typically the reason superstars are superstars is because they don't get that much less efficient when they have to use a lot more possessions. But when they use a lot fewer possessions, they also don't get as much more efficient as, you know, a role player does if you put them in a smaller role. They're less sensitive to changes in their role than a role player. That's why they're superstars. So we'll see if, like you talked about, they do become much more efficient playing together. All right. For those of you who have heard David Locke, Kevin Pelton podcast in the past, there's always this kind of moment where I go deeply off the rails because I take us someplace where my wild brain goes, and then you're wondering if it's ever going to get back. So if if this podcast goes as planned, we're going to come back and discuss how the West and how the East kind of lays out now with all these new rosters. But in the meantime, Kevin just touched on something that I want to discuss. And this is, and I'm not smart enough to do the math on this. And we need to create this. Is my I've done pack. I need a new rating system. If you talk to coaches, coaches talk about 50-50 players, and then they talk about players they can pen in. And what they're talking about is, I want the guy who can average 18 points a night and give me 18 one night, 19 the next, 17 the next, 20 the next, 16 the next, 18 the next. And he's always the same guy. What they don't want is the guy that gives them 24 one night and then gives them 12 the next and averages 18 because they win 50% of the time and they lose 50% of the time with that player. And if they can get a guy they can pen in. Al Horford, to me, kind of is the ultimate example. I just feel like he just, you open up the paper, well, whatever papers you flip onto the ESPN.com there. Give Kevin his, his plug and you click on the box score and there it is. He's always the same. How do we, I, I've tried to do this and then what ends up happening, and I've talked about it a lot on the pod, my daily podcast, Locked on Jazz, about it. Players have their bell curve and that they've got to stay inside their bell curve. But then when somebody like Kobe goes and scores 81, <laughs> it screws up your standard deviation. What is a way in which we could rank players based on the realm and how often they stay inside their bell curve to create their averages. Well, that one's just a long-tailed curve at that point. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think really actually what you're probably looking at is what is the shape of that curve? Because there's some guys where the consistent guys you're talking about, it's a really high peak in the center. This would be much better visually because I'm using my hands to demonstrate it. And then there's some guys where the peak is very small, but it it's very flat because there's a lot of possible distributions as you're talking about. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I understand why coaches like it because there's so much that's out of their control, the refereeing, how the other team plays, whether shots go in, and make or mislead, quote unquote. All those things are out of their control. So what we can control, let's try to have that be as consistent as possible. Really, if you're a 500 team, doesn't matter. You're probably going to be a 500 team, whether that guy's consistent or whether he's up and down, because you'll win some games you weren't supposed to and lose some games you probably should have won. But if you're a really good team, that's where it matters because of the fact that you're a favorite every night and the more consistent you can be, the better it is. So that's where it actually maybe does matter for a team like the Warriors more than almost anyone else because when they have that night against the Lakers, or afternoon most notably against the Lakers on a Sunday afternoon after a Saturday night spent in LA where they shoot like 30% for the field, then they lose that despite the fact that they're playing for the Lakers. And the fact that you won by 50 against Memphis in November doesn't even that out in, the, uh, in, the, in terms of wins and losses. It might be a little bit why in my pack ratings I want players that are all above average for the good teams. Like I think the way you build a championship team, it may be different here with the Warriors, is that you have all of your players above average, and that may be pointing to your point that you then eliminate some of the variation. I think that speaks more probably to the impact of a defense because if a defense can take away those first three options and force that fourth or fifth guy to beat you, again, as Cleveland did a lot of the time in the finals – 
then that's where that, that balance becomes really important. You did an incredible piece either right at the beginning of the playoffs, I think, about how much this is a make-or-miss league. I think it was during the Spurs-Oklahoma City series. Would you share people with what your findings were there? Because they they almost left all of us without a job, (laughs) um, which I didn't really appreciate, and it almost left a coach kind of, I think, uh, wondering why you ever coaches in this league. But what did you find? Yeah, so that's the cliche that's been out there for a long time from Jeff Van Gundy has popularized it, but really I think dates back to Pat Riley, his mentor. And, you know, it seems like a cliche because obviously it's a make or miss league. We're all watching the games. That's what happens. Either the shots go in or they don't. But what I think it speaks to is the fact that, you know, to, to get back I'm to what inter- I was saying. I'm earlier, interrupting. Tell people the research you did. Well, uh, okay. I'll get to that. I want to talk about the concept first. All right. So I'll be quiet now. You can control the quality of the shot you get, but you don't control the outcome. So which is more important of those two things? And I think people would look at it and say, well, it's the quality of the shot. But when uh, so what we had access to during the playoffs was some player tracking data that's been analyzed, and uh, now we know you know we have an estimate of based on who the shooter is, where the defenders are, where the shot is taken from, what's the expected likelihood, what's the expected points you're going to get from that shot, and then we can compare that to how many points you actually get. And you know, on one shot, that doesn't tell us that much, but when you look at a whole game, it can tell us. You know, which how much of the outcome of your shooting was because of the quality of your shots and how much of it was because of your shot making. And then the other question I looked at, so that it turns out the shot making is the dominant factor there, not the quality of the shots you get. The other interesting factor there is, okay, well, you could say, well, that's just something that the cameras can't pick up. Something, you know, the defender was actually contesting better than we realized just based on the coordinate that he was on the court. But when you look at it, it's not a thing that stays consistent from game to game. It tends to fluctuate a lot for both offenses and defense, which tells me that it's not something you have control over. It's just kind of randomness from game to game. So the coaches complain about stats to you because it can't tell whether the player's hands up or not. See, that's interesting because so I talked to Van Gundy when I was doing this piece, and he said he started to think that that almost doesn't matter, that the, the way we define contested shots is completely wrong. What's his thought? Uh, you know, I don't know if he ever completely unpacked that, but the thought I've, I've discussed with people is that it's really much more, it's less about whether there's a hand there and more about whether the shot is taken in rhythm or not, which again, you, the cameras can't tell. But the point is that it doesn't tend to be a consistent, there's no one that shows a consistent skill of we're taking shooters out of rhythm, you know, every single game to the extent that we see the shooting vary from game to game. So we're doing this interview in the place where I often interview Quinn Snyder for our coaches show and he works feverishly on a night in and night out basis drawing different sets and writing different sets to get players higher quality looks and now you're telling him what I'm not telling him that it doesn't matter because it definitely matters what I would think of it and I'd like to think of a lot of things this way it's like if you're playing blackjack and uh, if you are playing according to the optimal way to play blackjack that doesn't mean you're going to beat the house, but it means in, in, in over one night, it doesn't really change your odds that much how well you play. Like it's, it's the quality of the cards in that case. Is opposed, is, that's their version of make or miss league in gambling. And in this case, you just want to get yourself you know, that, that extra little bit of edge that over time is going to add up to something. And that's what their lives are devoted to. You've done some incredible research projects over your time. This one, I think, was one of the neater ones you've ever done. I think from talking to you, you think so too. How has it changed how you watch the rest of the playoffs? 
Yeah, I definitely it it made me less prone to swings in emotion, which I think worked out well in the conference finals because the fact that I didn't overreact when the Thunder were up three one over the Warriors, and then it maybe didn't work as well in the NBA finals because I maybe underreacted to the fact that the Cavaliers came back from three one. So that that was kind of like in contrasting uh, uh, feedback on that the quality of that philosophy over this, but. The I think the ultimate triumph. You mentioned that I wrote that story during the Thunder Warriors series, or Thunder Spurs series, I should say. And uh, we saw Game One of that, where you know the the Thunder got criticized heavily in the media because they weren't prepared for Game One against San Antonio. They lost by thirty points or whatever, and they actually had better shots than San Antonio in that game by the the shot quality measures. They just didn't go in, and that's the that's the real thing is that what is actually just shot making. We tend to uh, attribute to other elements things that are within the team's control. Don't worry. We're getting back on the rails at some point, but we're off the rails right now. We're going to stay off them for a little bit. Then we're going to get back on them. Don't worry. Uh, you have all sorts of access to really cool stuff right now because you're an ESPN bigwig and you guys have all sorts of stuff. And I know you do because Zach Lowe just mentions it, and I've decided that he's being snooty with it. He's just like mentioning it so in ways and puts in his article as provided to ESPN by like, oh, well. So for the rest of us, we all want to know what's the best thing that you have access to right now that you think has been meaningful. There were the hustle stats we all had access to. So some of the other stuff also out there, the hustle stuff that was new for the playoffs. So there's been a bunch of new stuff for the playoffs, and there's been a bunch of new stuff that you have access to. What have you found to be most useful and telling? Well, I thought it really was the shot quality data was by far the most interesting thing to dig into. Uh, another thing we were able to look at is, uh, you know, the results of various pick and roll combinations and then how those plays are defended or, you know, what the outcome of those plays are. Uh, and that, you know, was very helpful because of the fact that, uh, the, the data we previously had access to, it only showed if the play ended in that pick and roll, if the shot came from it. But if you have a play where, you know, defense traps Steph Curry, he throws to Draymond Green, Draymond Green kicks it to a shooter in the corner for a three, that's not recorded as a pick and roll in the synergy data, it's recorded as a catch and shoot. So that was a really interesting thing to look at. And, uh, it turns out that, that that particular sequence is an extremely, extremely high percentage play. That's, those I think were really, I've heard a bunch of that stuff. I think I agree with you because the synergy stuff, and I tip my hat to those guys, they, they revolutionized the, the business, but there is a level at some point where it continues to evolve. And, and there's some flaws, and, and one, that's one of the flaws. Like I'm looking at Joe Johnson stuff because the Jazz have signed Joe Johnson, and like I'm surprised how often he's like involved in pick-and-roll plays compared to ISO, but it also doesn't show whether he ever passes. I have no idea if he ever passes off it, and then it's not as effective if he is you know, because you think of him as a non-ball-moving player and so I'm wondering, like, there's really no way for me to know that, and it would help me out a great deal if I could. So that's a good example. And if you'd like to send me all the Gordon Hayward, <laughs> Rodney Hood pick-and-roll data, I would love it. All right, now let's move to the Eastern Conference, where Cleveland has stood pat. The big news, uh, where they lost Mozgov and Delvadova. I don't know if you'll tell me those are big, big moves. The big move is Horford goes to Boston. Atlanta is completely different than they were now with Dwight Howard and Al Horford. Charlotte is relatively similar. They lost Jeremy Lin. Um, who else am I forgetting in all those non-descript Eastern Conference teams? Miami, we don't know because we don't know where Dwayne Wade is going as we sit here. And if all the As we sit here, we're tweeting about private planes again um, and possibly going to Cleveland. So how do you see the Eastern Conference breaking out right now? So right now, I think you know Cleveland clearly still in a tier of their own. They they do have to resign J.R. Smith yet. We haven't heard anything whatsoever about him, and maybe maybe it'll happen. You know, they have a place to put a pen. 
Does, you have a shirt on, so you can't put a pen anywhere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, he's still he's still celebrating the championship without question. Do you so think he's slept yet? I, he has to have slept. No, he's J.R. Smith. He doesn't have to have gone to sleep, but he has to have slept. Uh, anyway, so they, they have to do that. I think the Del, Del Vadova loss does hurt them a little bit, but it's really more of a regular season thing than a playoff thing anyway. Obviously, he didn't play very much in the finals, and that's the matchup that they're most concerned about at this point, although they probably should be a little concerned about the Boston Celtics. I think that you know with Horford, they're a much better playoff team. This solidifies them, in my mind, as the second-best team in the Eastern Conference, ahead of Toronto, who's the other team I think we, that didn't come up despite winning 50 56 games last year. They obviously didn't play at that level in the playoffs. They lose Biombo or replace him with Jakob Pertle, presumably, as their backup center as a rookie. So, you know, as much as I like Pertle, that's probably a downgrade for them. So I, I, I think, you know, maybe they're in the 50 win range this year. They're probably a little bit ahead of that Atlanta, Charlotte, Miami pack. I mean, Miami just, they have such a thin roster. It's really hard to say at this point what they're going to look like. not Bosch either. So it's hard to, I mean, he's right. so great that we've all forgotten how just, what a fabulous player he is. Although they still haven't figured out how to play well with both Bosch and Whiteside on the court, which is something that, you know, his health situation at the end of last season kind of took off the table for them and, and in some ways made things easier for Eric Spolstra, despite not having a great player. So, you know, I don't know if anyone has jumped up into that group. I mean, Washington is probably a playoff team with a full healthy season uh, with the guys that they have. I like Yamahimi. Yeah. Yeah. He's not bad. Uh, he's, he's a nice upgrade for them. Uh it's unclear they're paying him starting money, and he's coming off the bench at this point between, behind Marcin Gortat, and you probably can't play those two guys together. So we'll see how that all works out. But, uh, yeah, it really seems like Boston and Cleveland uh, are the class of that conference at this point. Derek Rose, Courtney Lee, Carlo Anthony, Chris Stapps, Przingis, and Joakim Noah. What do you think? All right, well, you want to talk about consistency. To me, the main element of consistency is being on the court. And you just don't know with Rose, with Noah, with Mello to to a large extent as well, given his recent knee injuries. Are those guys going to be on the court? Because that's what's going to, what's going to determine their season. If they're healthy, could see them winning 45-plus games, potentially being you know a fifth or a sixth seed maybe in the East. If those guys have severe injuries, they've they've filled out their bench okay. Like I mentioned, that Jennings signing helps if Rose goes down, but they could be a, they could be a 35-win team very easily. The uh... Just to, I got to be a little careful here, uh, but to your point, interesting kind of research work that was done by a team in the NBA uh, when looking into and acquiring an off-injured player, and the impact of having either minute restrictions where you couldn't have a natural rotation or just missing games on players to the team, their evaluation was that you're just far better off having a much inferior player, 82 games or natural injury than having a player who you can't use in a natural rotation, who you can't use. It's a very interesting work that was done there. So to give you just a little, just to give you that little tidbit there. All right, let's look at uh, the Western Conference. We all know who's top. Spurs have added Pau Gasol, which feels fabulous. I don't know if in reality it still is. It just feels perfect. Yeah, I mean, it feels like he was destined to eventually play at San Antonio at some point. You know, his his brother was talking about him going there during the season, I think it was. Uh, it would be done for tampering for his brother. <laughs> no, I think he's okay there. It would be a lot better, though, if he were going there in addition to Tim Duncan and instead of to re- 
presumably replace him now as the starting center, as it sounds like Duncan is leaning towards retirement. And that's going to be a big hole for them to fill. He's He was still an excellent defender for them last season. I mean, I I know I don't have to sing Tim Duncan's praises to you, of all people. So uh, I, I, that's a defensive downgrade, even though probably he makes them a little bit better offensively. The third team in the West last year were the, Cl- were the Clippers – they have just flown under the radar. They had their little me- meeting with Tim Duncan, but actually with Kevin Durant, but that seems to be their only uh, kind of high element thing. They've re- put this team back together largely. Where do you feel they fit into this mix? They're probably third. They were actually fourth last year. OKC was third, you'll recall. Uh, but Who? Yeah. yeah that, that. Soon to be oblivious or into oblivion and to never be talked about again. Well, we'll see. Uh, the the Clippers are pretty much bringing back a worse version of last year's team because they're losing, you know, a couple of guys who were parts of the rotation. They lost Jeff Green, who signed with Orlando somewhat inexplicably while they were chasing Durant. And uh, then they lost Cole Aldrich, who they really had no ability to retain because they only had him. They were able to get him for the minimum last year. And they're, those kind of minimum bargains like they got last year with Aldrich and Wes Johnson, who will be back but making more money, those just probably aren't going to be available this year because there's so much money to go around. Those are going to be even – though, if you get one, they're even 10 times more valuable than they were before because the alt- – alternative as a player making $10 million if you can get something out of your $1 million player. Uh, how, so where do you see Oklahoma City if Russell Westbrook stays as we're sitting here right now? Westbrook is still on the thunder. Uh, how do you see them? We've talked about Portland being different. We've talked about Utah making the upgrade of Georgia. We haven't added the Joe Johnson addition. We have Memphis has got this new triumvirate of Conley, Parsons, and Gasol. And we've got Houston with this James Harden Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson mix with Clint Capella, who I think is one of your favorites, if I remember correctly. As a so, where do you see this West? I've probably forgotten a pretty good team. Minnesota's rising uh, with Thibodeau. Where do you in New Orleans still around there with Anthony Davis? How do you see this West playing out? So Memphis is kind of New York West in a way. I mean, they've got definitely a much higher upside, I think, with those those guys. But same thing where you've got a lot of key players who are injurious, and that's a team that had a ton of injuries, as we know, in the second half of last season. So, you know, if you tell me that Conley, Gasol, and Parsons are going to play 225 games between them, then I think they're probably going to comfortably win 50 games. I think they'll be better than last year because, you know, Parsons is the best offensive wing they've had since they traded Rudy Gay, and probably including Rudy Gay, I'm sure sure your numbers would say so. Uh, So them, I think Utah and Oklahoma City, I ran a projection for them uh, after the Durant signing, which had them still with Westbrook and had them at about 48 wins, 47, 48 in that range. So I think that's that's the three teams that probably would be fighting for the last home court advantage spot, the number four seed, assuming the Clippers you know, don't have a lot of injuries or struggle with age more than we expect. Uh, so I think that's the next tier. And then probably the tier below them would be, I think Houston is going to be really good offensively and a lot of fun to watch under Mike D'Antoni, they're going to be real bad defensively. I don't see how they stop anyone with that group. Capella, as much as I like him, he's a better offensive center relative to centers than he is defensively, and they are just going to have atrocious defenders elsewhere in the starting lineup. 
Uh, Portland, I think, probably slots in that group at this point. You know, I think everyone's going to be very high on them because of their playoff run, but they took advantage of a lot of injuries there. So I don't think they're quite as good as they looked then. And uh, then that's probably where you'd put New Orleans and Minnesota. New Orleans, you know, had uh, some guys, added young players, which I liked. They didn't go for veterans and guys who were defensive upgrades. We'll see if uh, they continue shooting Solomon Hill and, and each one more as well as they did last season. In Hill's case, just in the playoffs. If that's the case, they're really good role players. Otherwise, they're just kind of solid. And then Minnesota didn't do a lot this, this offseason, but just the natural growth and the addition of Tom Thibodeau should put them in the playoff mix. All right, final question for you is my phone is blowing up and I'm trying to figure out why. Uh, what is your thought of a 35-year-old Joe Johnson? You know, I think he can still be very effective as a role player. We saw that in Miami last year. You know, I, I think some people downplayed that signing when it happened because of the fact that it seemed like he was kind of done in Brooklyn. But you put him in that smaller role where he was mostly a catch-and-shoot guy and he was very effective. And the other thing that happened in Miami is that instead of trying to play the two and the three and defend wings, you know, they had him playing the three and the four and oftentimes defending uh, bigger players. He's strong enough to do that. He's big at six foot seven. You know, he, he's not that different size-wise than uh, than Paul Millsap. So if you play him a lot of the times as a four, I think that, that works out very well for the Jazz. And now they've added Boris Dia. How do you feel about that? Wow. There we go. We're breaking news on the air here. That's uh, it's, it's a nice fit. I mean, you talk about a passer to put in Quinn Snyder's system. You can't get a much better passing big man than Boris Dia, which is not really something this team has had. Olivier Hamlin to the San Antonio Spurs in exchange for Boris Diaw. <laughs> will, will Hamlin be suiting up for the Spurs here? <laughs> Have we ever had a player traded in the middle of a summer league game? Uh, he will not since that deal can't, of course, become official until Thursday. But maybe on Thursday night, I guess, it's very possible that he could be wearing a different uniform that he did on Monday night at the start of the summer league. All right, so where does that, I mean, where does that put the Jazz? Uh, you know, I think it further solidifies them. I mean, at some point, you start to maybe walk them into the, the tier with the Clippers, but I don't know if I'm quite ready to go there yet with a team that didn't make the playoffs last year. Let's, let's Dante uh, Exum, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert, George Hill, Joe Johnson, Boris Diaw, Alec Burks, a backup point guard, Trey Lyles. It's a pretty deep team. That is. That's a team that can withstand some injuries for sure. See, I got one tweet from a well-known NBA person already, or text, that says, I think this is becoming a very good, deep team, approaching possibly top five league offensively, both offensive and defensively. Quinn can start running some stuff he's been wanting to run. I got another one who said, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Probably shouldn't read that one. <laughs> should that wrap us up? I, I think this should. We probably got to go make sense of this all. I do. That has been Kevin Pelton, ESPN. Tomorrow, the coach will drop. Make sure you're ready for that. Subscribe to Locked On NBA if you like it. A review would really be nice. Thank you. Also, check out our sponsor, MacWeldon.com, and give them a nice little, you know, look at them, see their stuff, enjoy it, and get 20% off by using the promo code LOCKED at MacWeldon.com. And remember, subscribe to your local team as well on the Locked On Podcast Network.